0: Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. I always find it interesting to learn what phobias people have. Um, When I was in high school, I had a thing, or I had a phobia called glossophobia. It's a legitimate fear, and um, glossophobia is the fear of public speaking. Now, try having a fear of public speaking when you've been called to be a public speaker. (laughs) Or to be a pastor, you, it's, a, it's something you need to get over quickly. But I was so anxious about public speaking that when I did an oral in school, for example, the page would actually shake because I was so afraid just to do this public speaking. Um, for my final English oral, I told my teacher, listen, rather just give me zero. There's no way I'm going to do an oral. There's no, just no way because I was so afraid to do public speaking. And um, I also discovered that I've got a thing called moosophobia. So... I'm not afraid of public speaking anymore, but, but I, I still have musophobia. Now, musophobia is the fear of rodents, fear of mice and rats. I, I'm so creeped out by these little creatures, I would rather be faced with a snake than having to deal with one of these little rats or rodents. Some people have acrophobia. Acrophobia is the fear of heights. And in South Africa, some people even have xenophobia. Xenophobia is the fear or hatred of that which is perceived to be foreign. Or it may even just mean fear of foreigners. So for today and next week, we're going to be looking at the holiness of God. So the disciples at some stage were able to connect where Jesus' power came from with his prayer life. So they approached him and said, Jesus, would you please teach us how to pray? And Jesus says, great, I'll teach you how to pray. And one of the first things he says to them to do is this. He says, when you pray, you need to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He says, when you address God, recognize He's your Father, but then once you've recognized Him as being your heavenly Father, you've got to acknowledge that His name should be hallowed, or that His name is holy, or in fact, that God Himself is holy. This is a critical part of Jesus' prayer life, he he understood that God was almighty and all-powerful, and when he approached God in his prayer life, he did the same thing. And he told his disciples, when you pray, you've got to actually slow down enough and acknowledge that God, the creator of the universe, is, in fact, holy. The question is, what is holy? What does holiness mean? And I think for many people, and especially Christians, we use the word holy as a synonym for a pure life, or or living morally pure. And, And that definitely is what holiness is. But in Scripture, it's almost a secondary meaning. Holiness means separate, or it speaks of the separateness of God, or the otherness of God. It refers to the fact that God is different. His way of thinking is far beyond you, your, and my thinking. Isaiah in chapter 6, verse 1 says this. He says, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him was mighty seraphim, each having six wings. Two wings covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with the other two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, Holy, Holy. Is the Lord of Heaven's armies? The whole earth is filled with His glory. Now we see a very similar picture in the Book of Revelation in chapter four. Isaiah is an Old Testament scripture, Old Testament prophet. Revelation is the last book in the New Testament. And listen to what the author says there. He, he, he sort of just gives a very same picture, but he gives a little bit more detail. He says the seraphim were actually four living creatures. One of them had the head of a lion, the other had the head of an ox, the other had the face of a man, and the last one was like a flying eagle. And then he says, each of, these, each of these four living creatures had six wings. And each of these six wings were covered with eyes. In fact, the whole creature was covered in eyes. Even its wings had eyes on it. And then they would cry out the same as we just saw in the passage in Isaiah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then I love what this author does as he describes what happens next. He says, while these seraphim are crying out, holy, 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 there are 24 elders. That as these guys or these seraphims cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, these 24 elders fall down on their faces and they worship God as he sits on his throne. Right throughout scripture, whenever God reveals himself, or when people encounter the holiness of God or the glory of God, people always fall down on their faces. And we see the very same picture even in heaven. Whenever we see a glimpse into heaven, that's exactly what Isaiah did. He actually gave us a glimpse into the throne room of God in heaven. And in Revelation, we see the same thing. We get taken out of earth, placed into heaven, and we see this picture And what we see is the separateness of God. These passages make the otherness of God very clear. It makes it very clear that God is different. These images highlight to us that God's ways are way beyond our ways. Even just where He lives (laughs) looks completely different to anything you and I have ever seen. When God creates creatures, for example, a A giraffe has an extremely long neck and a long tongue, and it's able to reach leaves right at the top of the tree. God creates creatures to thrive in their environment. The giraffe thrives in her environment. When you look at birds, for example, God created them with a super light bone structure, and they've got feathers, and they're able to fly and thrive in their environment. These angels that Isaiah described to us, these seraphim, were created by God to thrive in their environment. God gave them six wings to thrive where they were. And two of those wings were used to cover their faces because God was holy and, gl- and glorious. When Saul was persecuting the church, at one stage Jesus reveals himself to him. And the scripture says that, that, that Saul saw a big light or a bright light, and he fell to the ground as Jesus spoke to him, asking him, why do you persecute me, Saul? Just like these angels, I bet you at that moment Saul could have done with a pair of wings to cover his eyes. But whenever people encounter God and the holiness of God or the glory of God, people always fall to their faces in recognition of God being all-powerful and glorious. We see this picture of God's otherness in heaven. Then we see this picture of God's otherness or God's holiness in Jesus Christ himself here on earth. There was something about Jesus that pulled responses out of people. Some people absolutely loved him and some people hated him. Now, the Pharisees were among those people that had an extreme, extreme dislike for Jesus and Jesus weren't too happy with them either I mean these Pharisees they proclaimed that they had found the way to get to heaven or to enter the kingdom of God they believed that their way was perfect and their way was to just obey every single law they would define themselves as holy as pure and as perfect they would say in fact if you don't become like us you will miss the kingdom of God they represented God here on earth But when God actually walked on the earth, they could not recognize him. They had a picture of holiness in their minds, and they were trying so hard to make this holiness a thing in their lives. In fact, they prided themselves on their holiness. But when Jesus himself encounters them, or when they encountered Jesus, they did not recognize or receive Jesus, even though Jesus was the very essence of holiness. And yet the picture that they had of what holiness looked like, was different to what they saw in Jesus. And what Jesus saw in them was not the holiness he expected them to seek after. And their response to Jesus and Jesus' holiness was almost xenophobic in its nature. Jesus threatened them. They had a fear of him. He threatened their theology. He threatened their reputation. He threatened their way of thinking their way of life. And they had this very xenophobic response to Jesus. Remember what xenophobia means. Xenophobia is the fear or hatred of that which is perceived to be foreign. And this holiness of Jesus was so foreign to them that they rejected it. Jesus brings this response out of them. And they experience this fear of him. And we see the disciples. They were in a boat One day with Jesus, and scripture says that a a giant storm appeared. Wind was blowing and waves were crashing, and they had a real fear of their lives. And then the Bible says that Jesus was lying in the back of the the boat fast asleep on a pillow. (laughs) I it interesting that the author mentioned the fact that he used a pillow, which means he was planning on sleeping because he brought a pillow with him. And he was sleeping very comfortably in the midst of this storm. The disciples became afraid, fearing for their lives. And like anyone would do, they ran to their leader, seeking for help. And they woke Jesus up and they said, Lord, don't you care that we're going to die? So Jesus then wakes up and he commands the storm, be still. And the storm calms down completely. And the disciples say to one another, what kind of a man is this? That even the storms obey him. Then scripture says they were filled with fear. We see two types of fear here. The Pharisees had the xenophobic type of fear. They were threatened by Jesus. That's not the same fear that the disciples had. Scripture teaches us in Deuteronomy 6, God actually commands us in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 24, that we should fear the Lord. Now this is not the xenophobic fear that the Pharisees displayed. This is not the same type of fear we display to someone who we are afraid of because they may harm us. The disciples in this moment displayed the kind of fear that Deuteronomy 6 speaks about. It speaks about a reverence for this God who created us and loves us. When the disciples encountered Jesus in this way, they recognized his authority, his power, and they feared him. They had a reverence for him because they recognized that this man was not a man. In fact, this man was God himself, and he had all authority. So we see this beautiful picture of what heaven looks like in God's holiness. We see that when when God sent his holiness to earth in the form of Jesus, Jesus pulled out a response out of people. Not only did he pull out a response out of people, but he then leaves this holiness with us, Let me explain what I mean. In the Old Testament, there's this, there's this picture of a tabernacle, which is a tent-like structure, and it had three spaces in it. It had an outer court, it had an inner court, and then it had a room called the Holy of Holies, and it was there where the presence of God dwelt. There was also three gates. There was the Way Gate, the Truth Gate, and the Life Gate. Jesus referred to himself as the Way, the Truth and the life. He is saying, I am in fact the tabernacle. I am God here on earth. I represent the presence of God here on earth. And in this tabernacle, they were, in these various rooms they had various um, f- pieces of furniture. And one of these pieces w- w- was a, an, an uh, incense altar. And as they burned the incense, it would fill all three of the rooms. It would go from the outer court to the in a curtain, even into the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was. And then once the priests would go into the the tabernacle, the incense would cover them, and they would smell like incense. And then when they left the building, the people on the outside could recognize that they had spent time in the presence of God because they smelt themselves like incense. When the disciples encountered Jesus, they too experienced that incense in the presence of God. And because of this powerful, powerful encounter they had, the otherness of Jesus, the otherness of God, the holiness of God was transferred onto them, not only in that moment, but because of their encounter with Jesus. And then Scripture says that you and I, we are in fact the tabernacle, Which means God now dwells in us. Which means that the incense is in us. So when we pray, we shouldn't say, Where is God in this? Often we say that, Where is God in this? The question should be turned on us is, Where are we in this? Because God dwells in us. God's holiness is in us. And this holiness is not a holiness that can be achieved. It's a holiness that we receive through Christ Jesus. My question to you is this. Is this the kind of God that you know? Is this the Jesus you know? This Jesus who is powerful, who is full of authority, who has the authority to command a storm to quieten down? Does this Jesus cause you to fear him and have a reverence for him? Or has the Jesus you worship become a weak powerless, insignificant Jesus that has no ability to evoke any response from you. What do you do with a message like this? I want to challenge you to really consider the Jesus you know. If this Jesus you know and worship is not a holy Jesus, a different Jesus, and doesn't evoke anything, any emotion out of you or any response from you, I wonder if you've met the same Jesus the disciples met. Because the Jesus the disciples met was able to transform their lives completely and they too took on the holiness of Jesus. And we see right throughout history that believers who encounter Jesus in that way, who bear the image of God in that way, they evoke the same response from people who disregard God or reject God. Right throughout history, We see Christians being treated in a xenophobic way because they look so much like Jesus. They bear the holiness, the otherness of Jesus. And right throughout history, we see Christians persecuted for their faith because of their otherness, because of their holiness. Would you be found guilty of being a disciple of Jesus if someone had to interrogate you? challenging thoughts. I hope you have a great week. I hope to see you again soon. Cheers, everybody.